Welcome to Ottawa Valley Vineyard, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share His love. Let's dive into Ephesians and just trying to understand, right? The heart is, okay, what is this saying? And what does this mean for us written 2000 years ago? What, yeah, what does this mean? What does this mean for us? And so I realize we're just jumping in. So uh, this hasn't been a series or something. So I just want to hit a couple of things just about the book of Ephesians, just right off the top. And that'll maybe give us a better picture of what we'll be talking about. So number one, Ephesians, or sorry, Ephesians. Those are the people living there. Ephesus is this large, uh, ancient city, this epicenter for the worship of all kinds of different gods, right? So all kinds of believers that are coming out of there, they didn't have a strong secular scene. Everyone was coming out of cults and out of new religions and out of spiritual experiences of, uh, scripture would say, darkness. Um, so that's one good thing to know. Another good thing to know is just the way that Ephesians divides. There's kind of like the first three chapters, uh, and, and that's where Paul's ex- exploring the question of what exactly is the gospel? We talk about good news. What exactly is the good news? Like, what is that in its essence? What is that in its core? And that's kind of the first three chapters. And then you hit this therefore word in the middle of the book. And then you get to chapters four to six, where it says, okay, therefore, this is how you should live because of what the gospel is. So uh, this morning, we're going to be in that first chunk looking at, okay, what is the gospel? And that's a big question, but we're going to just hit a piece of that this morning. So let me just give you a quick overview of what has come before. So in uh, chapter 1, 3 to 14, you have this beautiful Jewish style poem praising God for everything that he's accomplished in Christ, right? So he's chosen and he's blessed a covenant people. Through Jesus, all can enter forgiveness and grace. There's, there's this theme of uniting everything under Christ. This is God's plan from the beginning to do this. Jew and Gentile, inclusivity, everybody welcomed under this same banner uh, done by the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And you can see there the church is part of God's plan, right? The church is not something small and insignificant, but the church is part of something earth-shattering, part of something groundbreaking. Uh, And then you jump to the verses 15 to 23. And if you do have a Bible, it might help you to to do that because I don't have slides to to show you these things. And we're going to be pretty uh, oriented on like four verses today. So if you have that, good. If not, you can just listen and I'll try to be as clear as possible. But so then you have 15 to 23 in chapter one, right? And so you see Paul then praying, uh, would their theology, would it not just stay head knowledge, but would that sink in? Would that actually transform their lives? Would they be given the spirit of wisdom and revelation, right? Would they know the hope to which they've been called? Would they know what these riches of his glorious inheritance are? Uh, Would they know his incomparably great power that energizes us? Okay, and then we hit our text for this morning. So it's gonna be uh, Ephesians chapter two, uh, I, real, I wanted to do, I'm going to read one to 10, but in reality, I'm only going to get like four verses in. Okay. So just, just heads up when we're like 30 minutes into this and we're on verse three, do not fear. We're, we're getting close to the end when that happens, but here we go. So Ephesians chapter two, uh, I'll read verses one to 10, then we'll just break it down and talk about it. So it says, and you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. I didn't choose Ecclesiastes, right? But so I went to something that was equally exciting. You were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind 
and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, which which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so we're just going to jump right into verse one. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. So Paul has been praying that his readers would know the greatness of God, right? Would they know the greatness of God's power towards them? And then he prays God for exercising that same power. And God exercised that in raising Jesus from the dead. And so he now reminds them of the mighty and the powerful change that has occurred in their own lives because of God's power. They were spiritually dead, but out of his great kindness and out of his great mercy, God raised them and exalted them with Christ. Their move from deadness to life is the very proof of God's power that he's been talking about. So they were dead and he made them alive. And I think right here, we see this core biblical truth. We see something about the character of God, right? We see that God helps the helpless. Um, And even more than that, God helps those who were his enemy and those who had transgressed the law. And they were dead. And I don't like saying the word obviously, but I'm gonna say the word obviously here, okay? Uh, This is obviously not physical death he's talking about. It's not like Paul was writing the letter and everyone was in the morgue, right? And then the letter got there and then they all read the letter together. That's not what happened. Um, But I think what it's saying here is human beings enter the world spiritually dead. Um, You can see that in Romans and Ephesians and Colossians and other places. But I think we can ask that question, okay, what does that mean, right? Spiritual deadness. Uh, What is that? And, And really, I think you can say spiritual deadness is there is no inclination or no responsiveness to God and then no ability to please God. Deadness as unresponsiveness. Uh, you, can, you can't talk to someone um, who's dead. They won't interact with you at all. And so this is saying we were dead to God. We were not alive to him at all. We were utterly unresponsive to his voice, utterly unresponsive to his leading. We were totally stoppered against knowing what is good and walking forward in what is good. We were at enmity with God, actively working against his will and plan, actively working against fullness of goodness, actively working against fullness of health, actively working against fullness of life. And so what this is saying is in in part is humanity comes into the world in a state of spiritual deadness. And the implication there is that we need to be awakened um, to the light and to the life of God, we need to be made alive in order to hear his voice, in order to know him, in order to walk forward in relationship with him, right? So we come into life unresponsive and something needs to happen in order to make us responsive. We come into life unresponsive and something needs to change. There, a flip needs to be, a, a flip, a switch needs to be flipped. Something needs to change to make us responsive to the voice 
of God. And so we see they needed to be raised to life because they were spiritually dead. They were severed. They were alienated from God, the, the source. They were cut off from the source of all true life. And uh, I don't want to spend too long on this part, but I guess like, we can ask the question, what does this mean for our, our friends, right? What does this mean for our family members, for the people that we know that are outside of Jesus? What does this mean for our community, Carlton Place and the surrounding area? And I think this death and life imagery, it's pretty stark, but it, it, it maps on to us today. Um, there's a very substantial difference. If you just look at that imagery, there's a very substantial difference between deadness and life. And I guess all I wanted to say here is scripture points towards a need in our community, right? Scripture says people outside of Jesus, they need a switch to be flipped. People outside of Jesus, they need an experience. They need an interaction with Jesus that brings them out of spiritual death to a place of life and to a place of responsiveness. And it's not just for those outside of Jesus. There's also something that we need here, right? Those of us who know Jesus, those of us who walk with Jesus, who committed to that, who want that, um, we need to continue to walk forward in that life that Jesus provides. We need to continue to place ourselves in places of light, in places of life, in places where we can know Jesus, in places where we can further rest in him. And, uh, and as we draw closer to Jesus, I think not only will we be transformed, right, but the people around us will be transformed. Okay, so let's hit, the, let's hit the main meat of what we're going to be talking about. Here we go, two verses, uh, two, verses two and three. This is what it says. It says, In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Okay, and there's a lot here. I know that. So the first thing that I want to hit is this phrase, in which you once walked. So these were things that characterized the people that he's talking to. And I think we can map that onto us, us as well. These are things that characterize us. You once walked in this. Uh, we, because we're mapping it onto us, we once walked in this. This was once true of me and of you. We, as people who follow Jesus, are not something completely different from those who do not follow Jesus. We once walked in what those who are outside of Jesus experience. And I just want to point to that common ground and make a point here. We once walked in this, right? Like as dramatically different as we are now, we were once there. And I think that this affects us on a couple of different levels. I think it affects us on the way that we see ourselves as the church. And so speaking to those who would follow Jesus here, specifically to church, we are not characterized by being better than other people. We once walked in the same things. We were swept away by the same currents. We were influenced by the same demons. We were drawn away from goodness, drawn away from life by the same dark desires that reside in our core. We were, the key difference between those who follow Jesus and those who don't follow Jesus is not that we are better people. I don't know if we can get a less biblical idea than that. The key difference between those who follow Jesus and those who don't is that God has raised those who follow him from spiritual deadness. So the key difference is that God has sparked in those who follow Jesus the ability for them to hear his voice and that they have heard his voice and that they have turned 
to him. And I, th- I just think, I think this is important because I think this, is a, this affects the way that we talk to people. This affects the, the way that we interact with our friends and our family um, and our community who are outside of Jesus. This affects that. Uh, we do not interact with other people as though we are better than them. Nothing could be further from the truth. We are not better. Uh, those who follow Jesus are, are beggars who have found bread, right? We are people of fallen Babylon who have heard and accepted God's call to enter new Jerusalem. And here, Revelation, I'll quote some Revelation at you. Twenty-two seventeen. this is what it says. It says, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears and obeys say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. The key difference between those who follow Jesus and those who don't is in our response to that invitation. And just on a very practical level, right? Let's make this really practical. This just, this changes our attitude as we talk with people, right? We are not to condemn. We are not to look down on. We are not better. We are not saved because of everything that we did. Our attitude to those outside of the church, it ought to be prayerful, right? We go to God first and from there there's invitation and we go forward and we echo that invitation of come. Our our attitude is not one of haughty condemnation and it's not one of shunning and it's not one of standing away because but for the grace of God, that person, that family member, that uh, person in our community at the grocery store that you talk to, but for the grace of God, that person that you're talking to is me. But for the grace of God, that person that you're talking with is you or it's Billy Graham, or it's Matt Chandler. Um, so we, we do all this knowing that we once walked in the same way, right? We once walked in the same way, and then God called us. God interacted with us. God sparked life in us, and then we listened, and we responded. Okay, so the rest is going to go on to say what we walked in. And so I'm going to pause and I'm going to give you a word picture. I don't have slides, but it's okay because the slides I chose for this were really bad anyways. So a word picture is probably going to be better, okay? So word picture, this is a metaphor that helps me understand, and I'm hoping that it's going to help you understand. It helps me, so we're going to go with it. Uh, Okay, so imagine that you're on this raging ocean, okay? You're in the ocean, there's waves, there's rain, it's very different from today. Um, You're on a ship, and we can think old ship with like the, the masts. And if you want, you can envision that as a pirate ship, although I'm not advocating piracy. Um, so you're, just close your eyes. You're on this ship in the middle of this windswept ocean. And uh, you know the waves. And you're the captain, OK? You're the captain of that ship. OK, now we're going to take that image, and we're just going to put it on the back burner. And then I'm going to reflect and, and come back to that image a couple different times. And, and so here, I, I think it's helpful to break down the rest of this verse into three ways, right? It says, we once walked, and it's going to give you three things. It's going to say, according to the course of the world, according to the core, sorry, according to the prince of the power of the air. And then it's going to give you a third thing, which says, among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh. Okay, so the first of these things that characterize the death that we once walked in is the course of of the world. So, okay, back to our word picture, right? You're on your ship. You're the captain of your ship. Ooh, that's, yeah, okay. You guys don't need to know how I think about that. Um, But I think in this word picture, this is probably best understood to be the waves and the current, right? This is the waves and the current that are pulling your ship in certain ways. And we are born and we live and we swim in a certain cultural current. 
There are things in our culture that actively pull us towards things. And if we aren't, I don't know the verb here, boating, John could help me out wherever he is. If we aren't actively boating, right? That's, that's the word, right, John? That's the action. If we aren't actually actively boating in a certain direction, then there are certain things that are just going to take us and they're going to sweep us away and they're going to they're drag us. So if we're not actively thinking, if we're not actively walking forward, I don't really think there is such a thing as neutrality. If we're not actively moving in a direction, we will be pulled in a different direction. And, and so just right out of the gate, I want to say that some of these things can actually be helpful, right? So some of these things can draw us nearer to where we want to go. They can draw us nearer to our destination. There are noble and good things in our culture. Even if they're incomplete, there are noble and good things in our culture, and I'll just uh, justify that here. So Psalm 19.1 is going to say, the heavens declare the glory of God. Uh, Romans 1.20 is going to say, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, and dot, 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 have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. My, my point is, God is not completely absent from this world. If he was completely absent, uh, this world would be in a lot worse state than it is. I actually think that's the definition of hell. And as bad as it is, I don't think we're living in hell right now. Um, God is not completely absent for this world. And, and just to give you a couple examples, right now in our culture, there's a desire for justice. There's a cry for justice. Would justice be done? How do we make this right? And I think you, um, you can see echoes of that in, in, the, in the information, the news that comes out about the residential schools and the children and the bodies of the children that they found. There's a cry for justice. Um, there's also a recognition that um, things ought to be dragged into the light instead of covered up. And I want to say that those two things, those are good things. Those are, those are godly impulses. Those are godly, uh, godly calls. Uh, okay, but in the text, what's in view here is the things in our culture that are unhelpful, the things in our culture that are ungodly. There are things in our culture that are foreign to the heart of God. There are things which, if we're not careful, these things will carry us further and further away from the person of God, further away from beauty, further away from truth, further away from justice, further away from goodness. There are ungodly impulses and ungodly currents in our culture as well, right? And just to name a couple, right, there's, the, uh, there's a pursuit of what we want at the expense of everybody else, like a selfishness that, uh, that can grow. And that would just be one example. And so I guess what I want to say, right, is, is knowledge of God, beauty, truth, goodness, these are not things that we just fall into. These are things that if we really want what is beautiful, if we really want what is true, if we really want what is good, we need to be actively looking for these things and aiming for these things. And, and John says the verb is boating for these things. We need to look to walk in and to draw nearer to who God is, right? If we swim in this cultural river, if we boating and there's, there's currents, we need to be aware of that and we need to swim against those currents where they would drag us away, where they would smash us on ropes. Okay, so that's, that's number one. So we're, we're in this ocean on a boat, you're a captain, maybe some of you are pirate captains. And one of the things that we have to contend with is these currents that will drag us to where we don't want to go. Okay, the second of these things uh, that characterize the deadness in which we once walked is it's going to say, according to the prince of the power of the air. And this is where it's going to be helpful, that thing that we mentioned at the beginning, that a lot of these people are probably very spiritually aware people. A lot of these people are coming out of all kinds of cults and are coming out of all kinds of other religions, right? It's not secularism. That's, I don't even know if that existed 
right? But they're coming out of these places. And so the domain of the air, right? Prince of the power of the air. The air, what does that mean? The air is this cultural way of referring to the spiritual realm, right? So in an ancient understanding, you had the earth and then you had the heavens. And in between the heavens, on the earth is where we were, everything corporeal. In the heavens was like, that was the realm of God. And then you had the air. And the air in between, that's the place of, that's the place of demons. That's the place of, that's this intermediate sphere. It's the, the dwelling place of evil spirits, uh, forces of, of wickedness, right? And the prince of this realm is who scripture is going to refer to as Satan or, or Satan or the devil or the adversary. And one of the implications here, and one of the things that this is communicating, is it's saying that there really is a spiritual realm. As nice as the sunshine is and the trees, like there really is another realm that is, that is beyond us, or another realm that we don't see. And we're not told exactly how these spirits operate, right? The Bible seems to be focused on something more important. The Bible seems to be focused on uh, the acts of God in history. And so it's not really giving us like a metaphysical demonology. Um, but however these forces act, Paul thinks it's important enough that we should be aware of it, that there is this supernaturally powerful opponent working in opposition to us. And so one of the, thing, one of the implications that comes out of this is we do not live in a world without a spiritual reality. A, a lot of people in our culture and I think it's like 20%. I looked at the statistic, but don't quote me on that. So it's maybe less than you think. But a lot of people in our culture believe that all that exists is matter. There's no spiritual world, right? And you can sometimes, speaking of being drawn by cultural currents, you can sometimes hear an echo of this in the church, right? Sometimes we treat faith in Jesus as though it's something simply intellectual. And it's like, okay, well, you overcome this intellectual problem and now I've proven it to you. And like, do you accept the proof? And like, yes, I accept the proof. Oh, hey, good, you're in. And faith in Jesus, while I believe it's something that is rational, it's not just a matter of here's some rational arguments and now you believe or now you don't believe. Uh, scripture is gonna say that following Jesus is not that simple. It's gonna say there are spiritual forces at work. And so we need to be looking to expand God's kingdom in the corporeal realm, right? In the physical realm, in the here. You look around, you see someone, they're hurting, you help them. We need to be expanding the kingdom, the reign, the rule of God here in the corporeal sense. Um, you know, with reason, with argument, and with experiencing the work of God in our lives and testifying to that and loving people, acts of love and service and caring for people and the acts that prove those words. So we need to be doing that, but we ought not neglect the spiritual component, even if we don't fully understand how the spiritual piece works. And here's where I'm going to just add to the text. I'm going to say, this is where I think that prayer is so important. I guess we we just did a whole series on prayer. So maybe you're like all hyped up on the prayer already and you don't need this encouragement. But I'm just gonna add on to what Aaron was saying. This is where I think prayer is so important. In prayer, we are expanding the kingdom of God on this spiritual plane. We are working directly against the prince of the power of the air. Uh, you don't win a war, well, at least I haven't fought any wars, but I don't think you win a war by completely ignoring what an enemy does in a certain theater because you've decided it doesn't matter or it doesn't really exist or it's not really there. You don't win World War II by ignoring the Pacific theater. Um, and out of this, I think we need to be praying for each other. And we need to be praying for our leaders. We need to be praying for our friends. We need to be praying for those who are hurting, um, those who are in pain, those who are in need of healing those who are lonely, 
those who are heartbroken. We need to be praying for those who sit under the power of darkness. And, and I'm not trying to motivate us, I, I'm, right? I'm not, me too, I'm speaking to me, but I'm not trying to motivate us just by saying that we need to pray more. So I hope you're not hearing, pray more. You know, have a happy Sunday, go pray more. Thanks, thanks for coming out. Um, I wanna motivate ourselves by pointing to what prayer is and the beauty and the power of what prayer is. And, and I guess my point is, scripture tells us that prayer is something that will directly impact the lives of our friends and our loved ones for good. Prayer will directly impact the lives of our friends and our loved ones in our community for good. And it's extremely practical because it contends directly against the spiritual forces of the kingdom of darkness. Prayer is real in the same way that these forces are real. And so prayer, what scripture is saying is it puts this before us and says prayer will make it more likely for people to break free of chains. Prayer will make it more likely that people see light in place of darkness. Prayer will make it more likely that addiction will be broken. Prayer will make it more likely that people will see and hear and respond to the person of Jesus. Prayer will make it more likely that people will be comforted. More likely that they will have their life radically altered by the presence of God, radically altered by hope and peace. Prayer will make it more likely that people will experience hope and joy and love and peace and goodness. And don't ask me how much more likely, I can't give you an Bayesian analysis, right? I don't, I don't really know exactly how much because scripture doesn't tell me exactly how that works. So I don't know how much more likely, but if prayer will bring the people that we love, if it will bring any measure of light, if it will bring any measure of comfort, if prayer will bring any measure of relief from darkness for the people that we love and the community in which we live. Um, no matter my gifting or my level of gifting here, I'm willing to discipline myself, I think, to try and make that happen. I think that should be something, yeah, I don't know, let's see the beauty and the power of it and move towards it. Okay, I mentioned a boat analogy, right? You're a captain on a ship. One of the things you watch out for are the waves and the current that are gonna drag you away from what is good. And here's, every, every analogy falls apart. So I know that, okay? But here we go, this is what it is. There's things under the water, okay? There's things under the water that are actively working against us. And we don't necessarily see or understand, but we know that they stand in opposition to us. They don't want us to get to where they're going. And so, I don't know, they're gonna climb on the ship or something. You can do whatever you want with the analogy after that point, but they're in the water, okay? Okay, so the final of these three things. So last, we hit one, two, three, that means we're almost done. The final of these things that characterize the deadness that we walked in is found in verse three. And it's gonna say, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh. And of the three, I think this is probably the one that needs the least amount of explanation. This is probably the one that we understand the best, right? The lust of the flesh. Paul is gonna talk about this later as the old self. And what this is, this is the, our inner inclination towards evil. This is, these are the desires. These are the things that we want that lie in our hearts that are opposed to God. These are the pieces of us that feel drawn towards the dark. These are the pieces of us that run from the light. These are the pieces of us that want what is wrong. Maybe we're ashamed of them. Um, these are the pieces of us that we don't want people to know, even though everyone understands. Um, these are the things that run from beauty. 
run from goodness in life because those things are death to it. And so for some of us, right, this is going to be, uh, maybe this is, just to give some examples, right? What do we do for examples here? Uh, for some of us, this is going to be the desire to have people like us more than anything else, right? And so we're, we're willing to waver and we don't really have a concern for truth or goodness or any of these things. We're, we just want people to like us. And it's something ethereal. Uh, um, for others of us, this is going to be the desire for money above all else. And it's going to lead us to doing some oppressive and vindictive and dark things. Um, for others of us, this is going to be the desire to escape from life. Maybe the desire to drown ourselves in entertainment and distraction and to cease caring about truth and goodness and other people because that's just too hard. Um, in all of those things, I think a focusing on self above all, a selfishness that grows and grows until it consumes us. Okay, so that's the end of that. So in our boat analogy, one of the things we contend with, right? You're on the, the, on, the, on, the, on the ocean, you're captain of your boat. We contend with these currents. We contend with the creatures under the water. And then the final thing that I paint into our analogy is just gonna be our own weaknesses and our own failing and maybe the condition of our heart. What is it that we really want? Do we really want to go to where we say that we want to go? So that's, that's probably the main body. So we spent a, a fair bit of time breaking these things down, right? We only made a couple verses, uh, but I think it's important that we understand what Paul is communicating through these. Uh, before being made alive, we were deeply affected by these evil determining influences. So our environment, this supernaturally powerful opponent, this inner inclination to evil, all of these were things that we once walked in. And it says, and we're by nature children of wrath, just as the others, right? These things had solidified our spiritual death. And as long as they held sway over us, we were never going to hear God. We were never going to approach God. We were never going to hear his voice and respond to that. We were children of wrath. And this is the end result. We, we were people, and this is conditional, right? I mean, if you follow Jesus, this is past tense. Scripture will say, if, if you don't currently follow Jesus, then you could read this as present tense. But we were people under the wrath of God, experiencing the present consequences and destructiveness of our darkness as we hurtled towards even greater consequences to come. We were sowing the wind and reaping the whirlwind. Um, this was our nature. We couldn't break free of this on our own. We couldn't break free of this just by willpower. And um, we could try as hard as we wanted, but we could not change our hearts. We were in need. Um, we needed the help of someone else to change us. We need the help of someone to change us on this very desire level of our hearts to give us a heart of flesh in the place of our heart of darkness, heart of deadness. We needed connection. This is what scripture says, right? We needed connection with God himself. We needed truth. We needed forgiveness. We needed beauty. We needed justice. We needed mercy. We needed grace. We needed goodness. And we needed God to change us by his power. We needed his help to begin to purge ourselves of selfishness and of all of the evil that lies so closely to our hearts. And it was in, in the middle of this storm, right? You're on the ocean in this boat and it's storming. It's in the middle of that storm and it's in the middle of our need that Jesus reaches out and he says, I will change your heart. I will save you. I will give you a heart of flesh in place of a heart of stone. And his voice kind of cuts through the storm saying, call on me and I will come to you 
and I will be with you. Uh, he says it this way in Revelation 22:17, right? The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. And, and so we'll start to wrap up here. So as we begin to conclude, uh, there's just one last thing that I just want to reflect on that I think is probably important. Um, we've been talking about this fact that we were dead and uh, what Christ has accomplished for us in making us alive. And Paul has been talking about it in very stark terms, right? We were alive in Jesus, but the question I think all of us have is, is what is our current relationship with these three things, right? I still struggle with the world, the flesh, the devil, with these three things. I'm still influenced. Um, what exactly has been accomplished here? And uh, I think Paul often talks about things as complete in a way that he's like, he's so sure of our future reality that he talks about it as though it's already full and though it's already happened in full. And I think in some ways, this is the beginning of a process that has started. And I think that what's happened here in making us alive, we can now hear the voice. We can now hear the guidance of God. We are now connected with the source of life itself. We have woken up to the fact that we need Jesus in order to change us. And, and it's right here in scripture that this is, this, this is what we run into, right? So we hit a tension here. And this is the tension that we'll just kind of pull back the veil and say, this is the tension. The tension is the, the now and not yet tension in scripture, which I'm sure many of you guys know, right? We have been made alive, but we don't yet experience that in full. We have been freed from being dragged along by these currents of the world, but we still feel their pull. We have been set free from the prince of the power of the air, but he still fights against us. Um, the light of Christ has been born in our heart, but we still fight against the flesh and we still fight against the old man. And I guess just as we wrestle with that question, right? And I think that's a question that we wrestle through as we kind of walk forward. Um, scripture, just as a whole, it promises a day when all of these things will be completed. And until that day comes, you know, we meet, we pray, we, we call on Jesus in our weakness, we study, we learn, we try, we succeed or we fail. And um, we confess, we ask for forgiveness. And, and I think we just kind of, we put one foot in front of the other and we keep going. That doesn't fit with our, we keep boating, right? We keep boating in the same direction. Uh, and we continue to walk into transformation, transformation, listening for the voice of God, following his leading as he guides us deeper into love deeper into true peace, true justice, true mercy, fullness of life. Day by day, we look forward to the day when we're made completely alive and completely free. And when these promises that we experience in part come in full. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Vineyard, visit ovv.ca.